so what happened was uh, my teacher he's the founder of the school Kapab Academy actually so I was very inspired by his mission which was to save lives and the school was started in memory of his brother because his brother died you know during a street attack um, that inspired him to do what he did you know uh, which was to start Kapab Academy so I thought that was very meaningful and at that point in time although as a practitioner I thought that if I could lend my little bit to help him reach out to more people, I'll be more than happy to do so. So I guess it didn't quite jump, it didn't quite kickstart my career in self-defense, but it kind of led me into an undergraduate way. I started teaching part-time while doing my university days. And the more I start teaching, the more meaning I found through my work. Um, I had also the opportunity to meet with a lot of victims who have been through some sexual assaults, primarily to all women, and I could connect with them. You know, being a woman myself, I can totally see how important self-defense is for women. And although I may not be able to rewind the clock and help the victims who have already been attacked before, I felt that I could do so much more to help more women who have never yet been become victims to not ever become a victim. Hello and welcome to the Women of the Future podcast, a podcast made in collaboration with the Women of the Future programme, a platform built to unlock a culture of kindness and collaboration among leaders, as well as support and celebrate the successes of women. I'm Kim Rowell and I won the media category at their awards in 2018, in recognition of my continued work as a commissioner, producer and children's author, particularly within the mental health remit. I'll be talking to my guests on this podcast about their careers, who or what gave them their first big break, their successes, failures and inspirations along the way, and how they came to be a part of the Women of the Future Network. Yun Kwan Kin has been described as the epitome of strength. The first woman in Asia to be certified as both a counter-terror shooting instructor by the Israeli Tactical School in the US and also to earn a blue belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Yun Kwan is CEO and Chief Instructor of KPAP Academy, a social enterprise dedicated to empowering ordinary people, with Yun Kwan having taught practical self-defence moves to thousands of people, from abused women to the deaf and the elderly. For her efforts in empowering others and educating them about their own personal safety, she was the recipient of the Queen's Young Leaders Award in 2017. In 2018, Young Kwan was recognised as an honoree of Forbes' 30 Under 30 Asia list, featuring 300 young disruptors, innovators and entrepreneurs from across the region. She was also named by Singapore Tatler, Generation T, as one of the 50 most promising individuals in Singapore. In the same year, Yang Kwan was made an Associate Fellow of the Royal Commonwealth Society, a charity committed to youth empowerment, education and advocacy. Yang Kwan was a finalist in the Women of the Future Awards Southeast Asia 2019 in the Social Entrepreneur category and in 2020 was one of 25 women named on the Kindness in Leadership Leading Lights Southeast Asia. So growing up, I would say I led a relatively ordinary life, you know, just like a lot of Singaporean students. However, I, I do have a, have a very traditional upbringing where my parents are pretty strict as to what I should be doing, etc. I didn't feel like it was a very strict upbringing in the sense I kind of conformed to it as part of my personality. So growing up was always school, home, and then that's about it. And it kind of went the right way up until I started doing self-defense. And 
things went a little bit non-conventional and that was where kind of there was a little bit of turbulence going on between me and my parents. So when you started, that sounds like an interesting story in itself. So when you started yeah. to explore self-defense, you were yeah. at school, were you quite young when you started to look at what um, self-defense could bring to your life? Not quite. I think I was about nine, 10 years old when that happened. So it's probably just after my first year of university. And so up until then, like I said, I've always been quite um, predictable in my patterns. But when I started doing self-defense, to be honest, at the start, my parents weren't quite all like against it because they thought that as a goal, it's good to learn some self-defense. But I think it's only when things got a little bit serious, that was when, yeah, that was when they started to make some noise about it. Why did you start? What, what made you interested? Did you see someone doing it? Were you inspired by someone at school or someone from your personal life? What made you take an interest in it? Um, I think it all started when I was a kid, actually. So when I was a kid, I learned things to do with martial arts, but because my mom was very against a girl doing things that were quite manly, according to her, she didn't quite allow me to explore that very much. But I always thought it was a childlike sort of desire to do it. And I think I only quite found it when I was 19 years old. And I think that was when I chanced upon an article in newspapers talking about self-defense. So I asked my mom if I could go for it. And I think because she thought I was old enough, it was actually, okay, you can go for it, you know, learn something useful as a goal to protect yourself. So that was when I started learning self-defense. And when did it become your career? Because obviously there's one thing in practicing something because you love it and because you enjoy it, but what made you want to take that next jump into making it part of your career trajectory? Um, I think it was when I got to know my teacher better. So what happened was uh, my teacher, he's the founder of the school, Kapapa Academy, actually. So I was very inspired by his mission, which was to save lives. And the school was started in memory of his brother because his brother died, you know, during a street attack. Um, that inspired him to do what he did, you know, uh, which was to start Kapapa Academy. So I thought that was very meaningful. And at that point in time, although I was a practitioner, I thought that if I could lend my little bit to help him reach out to more people, I'll be more than happy to do so. So I guess it didn't quite jump, it didn't quite kickstart my career in self-defense, but it kind of led me into an gradual way. I started teaching part-time while doing my university days. And the more I start teaching, the more meaning I found through my work. Um, I had also the opportunity to meet with a lot of victims who have been through some sexual assaults, primarily to all women, and I could connect with them. You know, being a woman myself, I can totally see how important self-defense is for women. And although I may not be able to rewind the clock and help the victims who have already been attacked before, I felt that I could do so much more to help more women who have never yet been become victims to not ever become a victim. So that kind of led my way to become an instructor. So KPAP, for anyone that doesn't know, is an Israeli unarmed combat martial arts. Is that correct? And yeah. you specialize in teaching women and children how to protect themselves against domestic violence and attacks mm. generally. You're right to a certain extent. So Kapap was actually um, what we were based on. But since that time, ever since I got involved as well, we actually created, me and my teacher, we created a new system called Modern Street Combatives. So this system is something that we both created because we found that there were inadequacies within the systems that we knew of at that point in time. 
one of the inadequacies was failing to see how prevention was a huge part of self-defense. And therefore, within modern street combatants, we actually teach people that self-defense comes in three rings of defense, not just the fighting bit. So the first ring of defense is where we teach people to understand predatory behavior. So this is where before anything were to have bad, where anything bad were to happen, if you can find that this person is up to no good, then you should be getting away from the person. So that's the first ring of defense. The second ring of defense is assuming something were to happen, like, you know, it's not violent yet, but you can sense that it's about to happen. How do you extract yourself or de-escalate from that situation? And only in the last ring of defense do we teach people to defend against an attacker. And even within the third ring of defense, you know, we struggle to find techniques that actually works for the smaller person. Because one of the target groups are reaching out to our women. And we're talking about women versus male attackers, you know. Um, and, and it's always a challenge trying to teach a smaller person to defend against a much stronger person because strength is just really not their forte. So there are definitely a lot more technicalities involved. But I believe that we have kind of nailed down that system right now and it has worked for thousands of people that we've taught to date. It's so refreshing to hear you talk about it. And I love how like even the words that you're using, like smaller people just being able to defend themselves. And I think sadly, like even in this country, I years and years ago got a black belt in kickboxing and people were surprised, even just me being a woman to have a black belt mm. in kickboxing. Do you still feel like those kinds of stereotypes exist? And you, do you feel that people maybe judge you with that hat on when you talk about your work and what you do and why you're so passionate about it and why it's so meaningful for you? Do they look at you and be like, you're a small woman, why would you be any good at this? Or is, is that not the case right. at all? Uh, definitely, I think there still exists, you know, stereotypes, you know, even today, but I think it's getting less now, uh, given a trend of women going into stereotypical activities, male-dominated activities, mm. like even weightlifting or even combat sports martial arts. So I think the stereotypes are getting um, less prominent, but nevertheless, I think being a female in a self-defense industry still remains quite a rarity, especially in an Asian society like me, where women are always seem to be, you know, if you wanna be a good Asian woman, you gotta be demure, et cetera. I know it's changing, but there are still certain stereotypes that we have pertaining that. So I've always, especially in the early years, we've always struggled to try to stand out. Uh, I've always tried to stand out, especially amongst my peers in the industry, you know, because I wanted to show them that I have what it takes to succeed as well. And I think I'm, I'm proud to say that in the 10, 11 years I've been in the industry, I think I've made certain achievements I'm very proud of, and I've made certain impact in society that I'm also very proud of. And you've also won medals as a wrestler. Yeah, I, I did. I did compete as a national wrestler for Singapore back in 2013 to 2016, I believe. Not anymore. Yeah, I did that. Not anymore. Not anymore. Not anymore. I rather really focus my energy on helping more people keep safe. Like you know, sports is great, and I and I definitely encourage people to go sports if you love it. But it was kind of like an individual achievement of mine. <laughs> We always speak about the role of mentors and you've already mentioned your co-founder and his inspirations behind doing what he does. Who would you say has helped mould your interests and your own career? Do you have a mentor or like a guiding light or someone that you look up mm. to in that respect? I think definitely my mentor, the one that I spoke about, you mm. know, my found, my founding member of Kapop Academy. I mean, here's the one that kind of was my 
my guide, you know, since I was 19, be it from a personal development viewpoint or be it as a career, from a career viewpoint, I think taught me a lot of valuable lessons, you know, not just as a martial instructor, but from everything, from being a, a instructor to a social entrepreneur. There are a lot of things that he led me to help me discover about myself. For instance, uh, I wasn't quite a resilient person to begin with. You know, mm. I didn't have a lot of life experience I could draw upon. And of course, when I was starting, especially there were a lot of failures that I had to overcome. And sometimes you just feel like giving up, but he was there to let me feel the pain of failure, but never let me wallow in that for too long. It's always, come on, get up on your feet and let's mm. move on in life. And I think that value, that resilience was what I learned a lot in my last 10, 11 years. And I think that moving forward, that is still a very important value in my life. And you've been described by one journalist as the epitome of strength. And on a personal <laughs> level, clearly, you've achieved so many firsts. You've been the first woman in Asia to be certified as both a counter-terror shooting instructor by the Israeli Tactical School in the U.S., and you also earned a, a blue belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, as well as obviously being the CEO and chief instructor at KPAP. And also you, and we mentioned the wrestling previously, but for your efforts in empowering others and educating them about personal safety, you were awarded the Queen's Young Leader Award by Queen Elizabeth in 2017. Of, of all of that, and I'm sure there's much, much more that we haven't, uh, I haven't just listed out, but... Is there anything that stands out for you or that you're particularly proud of? Uh, well, I definitely think the 2017 meeting with the Queen was definitely one of my key highlights in my you know, 10, 11 years of mm. doing this. But I think what I found you know, most rewarding for me was the network of uh, the connections I've made in, in, through all these different you know, meetings, awards, achievements, because they led me to bigger communities, people who I could work with people I could turn to for guidance sometimes so even like for the for the Queen's Young Leaders Award it led me to community of young leaders and I feel like a lot of times when you feel alone in a struggle being a social entrepreneur you turn to the same network of people you realize you're not quite alone they could be facing the same struggles that you have and that in turn gives you strength to continue doing what you do and of course the solutions they can offer I think you'd be more than happy to offer them as well. And do you stay in touch with the other people that were on the list? Do you all still talk and still catch up? I know obviously in a pandemic it must be quite difficult to do that, but do you, do you stay in touch with each other? We still keep in touch through WhatsApp from time to time, updating each other about what we're doing in our own communities. So I think, yeah, we have a fairly good relationship so far still. Oh, that's brilliant. And you were also one of 25 women chosen across Southeast Asia to be awarded the Kindness and Leadership Award. But also before that, you were one of the finalists in the Women of the Future Awards under the Social Entrepreneur category. Can you tell me how you first heard about the Women of the Future program and what inspired you to get involved? So I would say that um, because of my work, I've been on quite a few women empowerment platforms. And I think it was during one of the Facebook news feed that I saw this thing called Women of the Future. So I had a I had a good look at it and you know I thought the women and what they were doing were so amazing so I kind of just shared this piece of information with my mentor and he was like oh you should try it out and he nominated me for it I believed 
and the next thing I knew I was shortlisted and very honored to be one of the finalists of the Women of the Future Network. And I think I'm still very much in touch with what Women of the Future is doing. I just think they're going from strength to strength. I actually did not imagine myself to also be one of the 25 to win the Kindness Leadership Award because that came after my finalists. Because also I suppose kindness is not necessarily something you would associate with self-defense and martial arts is that a weird juxtaposition the two things together for you does that does that work is it a huge part of what you do I think yes because my key value in life is always about kindness and compassion because I always thought self-defense as a tool but deep within me I've always wanted to help people in whatever ways I know best and since self-defense is one of the best skills I've had to offer then naturally I gravitate towards teaching people self-defense but I think the key value about myself and my company, my organization has always been about saving lives, spreading kindness. And even within our pool of students and instructors, we encourage them to pay it forward. And we use ourselves as an example of how we are paying forward. And we always tell them, look, self-defense may not be something you may want to do, but you could think of something else that you know best and then pay it forward, you know, help somebody in need. And I think that mission, that value has always been quite pronounced in the way we do things and the way we're talking to people as well. I suppose also for something that's quite a combated type sport and pursuit, how did you guys manage during the pandemic? Did you do lots of stuff online or how did you navigate that period? Because obviously we're still coming through it, aren't we? What's it been like for you? Um, I would say it's definitely been tough, especially when it came quite, quite sudden. I don't think we expect how fast COVID-19 were hit all sectors of the industry. But of course, you know, when it comes to anything to do with face-to-face human interaction, I think we were the most badly hit by it. But I think in a way, it's a blessing in disguise because it really forced you to think out of the box and think mm-hmm. of how you can navigate through all that obstacles and come out stronger than before. And I think what we did as a company, which would precisely do that, we had to evolve the way we see and do things. So although we have been very much always into the face-to-face of training, I think what we realized during the pandemic was how powerful technology can be for us. And although a lot of martial arts schools did use technology to then put their trainings online and then carry on the business, we wanted to do more than that. Mm. So during the pandemic, especially, we worked on our own technical skills pertaining to like coding, understanding what coding does. And we are now in the works of creating our own mobile app, a personal safety mobile app called Angel Wings. And we're definitely hoping to launch it within the next few months. But I think that is definitely a blessing in disguise, something that Mm. the pandemic really propelled us to go forward to. Yeah, and you might not have necessarily invested the time or the energy in doing that if the pandemic hadn't forced your hand, maybe. So that's that's a good thing exactly. to come out of it, isn't it? Yeah, definitely, definitely. Right, I have some quick fire questions for you. So to start with, what would you describe mm-hmm. as your greatest success? I think my greatest success would be um, to be a much stronger all right, and more confident person than I was before because I like so much self-esteem in the past that I actually almost died from eating disorder. Really? So from a yeah, so from a personal basis, I think I've grown a lot since then. I found a lot. I've been a lot more um, sure about myself and what my mm. goals were in life, and that led me to believe that I'm confident in who I am, and appearance and body image isn't a definition of who I am as a person. 
And I rather let my work speak for myself than to be out there telling people how great I am. So I think that's my greatest success. That's so inspiring. And, <laughs> and your greatest failure? I think my greatest failure is also in that respect quite the opposite. And that is always doubting myself sometimes as well. So while I'm confident as a person, but right at the back of my mind, and I'd be very watchful about it, is to not let that little voice in my head tell me you're not good enough. And mm. it's not already pertaining to body image, it's about pertaining to every single aspect of your life, from work to family to friends to whatever it is. The little voice in the head that tells you you're not good enough, that is the voice that I have to beat. And I think that 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 self-doubt is the greatest failure in my life. And I'm still trying to beat, and I think, Finally, I might emerge victorious one day. <laughs> I think imposter syndrome is like the little gremlin that lives in all of us, isn't yeah. it? And some to hear it from someone like yourself who's achieved so much and is still still going and still aiming for the stars, to hear that you have those same moments, I think. I mean, and it's not that it needs to be reassuring, but it just goes to prove that it affects everybody, right? And we need to just... Yeah be satisfied in that we are enough and that we are capable yeah. and in your case more than capable <laughs> yeah so we've already kind of touched on this but the mantra of women of the future is kindness and collaboration what does that mean to you mm. in both your personal and professional life um I think I've always believed very, very strongly in collaboration. I always believe that nothing great in this world is ever achieved by doing things alone. And I think no matter how diverse two people can be in terms of culture, experience, etc., there's always a common ground that we can find. And that is that common ground that we try, that I would try to seek right, to find in each and indiv every individual that I meet. So when it comes to career-wise or professional-wise, like, you know, with the Queen's Young Leaders Award, for example, or even for the Women of the Future Network, I think it's about finding that common ground where me, I as an individual can work with another individual and see what we can do together, right, for a greater cause, for a greater good in this region. And I think collaboration is a very, very powerful tool that definitely needs to be stressed upon in the society. Yeah, strength, I think everybody's in numbers, right? Strength in numbers. That's right. Mm. That's right. So while we celebrate individualism, I think there still can be room for collaboration. Is there anything that scares you? I think what scares me the most is that at the end of my life, I look back and I realize I haven't led a meaningful one. I think that's the that's the ultimate scare. I think it's it's gone past materialistic games. I think it's at the end of the day, I want to look back and know that. I've fought a good fight, I've run a good race, and that in my lifetime, I have done enough in this world to help somebody else as well. It might be one person, it may be a hundred people, but I like to know that I didn't live my life in vain, living only for myself. And on that note, I wanted to ask at this point, you know, you said your mum was a little bit reticent about you going into self-defense and martial arts. She must be so proud of you now. Does she communicate that to you? I think being very Asian, very Asian value in her. Um, she <laughs> no, no, she expresses it in a very non-direct way. I think, I think her way of of approval is by not breathing down my neck as much. So silence is good sometimes. <laughs> so I can only take that as a sign of approval. <laughs> and what's left on your to-do list? I think the next, you know, the next level uh, for me to challenge myself is actually I want I want to do is to be a social contact entrepreneur. So I mentioned before, 
my strong belief in technology and believing technology can do so much good in this world is the next step forward for me. I want to see how technology can be used to enhance or to further my mission in helping people. I don't think it should just be a very physical thing. I think technology can help us transcend borders and even countries, all right, and time. So I think the next leap forward is to see how I can use technology to create many more apps that can benefit society. It's been so inspiring listening to you and hearing all about your work. Thank you very much for taking the time. I know it's um, we're going into your evening just as we're getting started uh -huh. over, there, over there in Singapore. So I hope you have a lovely evening and thank you for taking the time to speak to me. Thank you so much to you too. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Women of the Future podcast. If you enjoyed it, please hit the subscribe button. And while you're there, why not give us a rating and review? You know you want to. For more about the Women of the Future Awards, network and initiative, please visit www.womenofthefuture.co.uk. See you soon.